And welcome to the reading of the Telegraph Herald for Wednesday. And it is today is the 11th of January. I am your reader, Peter Welch. And you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Okay, let's take a look at the front page here. Reynolds outlines school voucher plan. Iowa governor delivers condition of the state address, sharing key issues she plans to address this year. In Des Moines, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on Tuesday unveiled her education reform plan for this year, including to release public dollars for private schools in her 2023 condition of the state. Obviously, Kim Reynolds is filled with passion and forward thinking for the state of Iowa, said Iowa Senator Carrie Coker, a Republican of Dyersville, after the speech. Reynolds, a Republican, has tried unsuccessfully twice before to enact a less expensive program of taxpayer-funded scholarships for private schools. However, her more far-reaching program this year could finally be approved thanks to larger Republican majorities in both the House and Senate. In describing her private school scholarship program, Reynolds said that she supported public schools but thought all children, not only those from wealthy families, should have the ability to attend private schools. The $7,598 she proposes making available to each student, the same amount the state allocates for a child in public schools, would initially be focused on lower-income children who want to attend a private school, but after three years it would be available regardless of income. Some families may want an education that conforms to their faith and moral convictions. Some kids may have ambitions and abilities that require a unique educational setting. Others may experience bullying or have special needs, Reynolds goes on to say. Regardless of the reason, every parent should have a choice of where to send their child, and that choice shouldn't be limited to families who can afford it. Iowa Republican Craig Johnson, Republican of Independence, now represents Delaware County and the Dubuque County Township covering Cascade. He's vice chair of the House of Representative Education Committee. This is about an eight-year progression, he said, of the legislature discussing school choice reform. I'm open to the discussion in whatever form it comes. Iowa Senator Pam Jochum Dubuque, a Democrat of Dubuque, said that after the speech that private school vouchers like those proposed had been tried in other states and never helped children. In the long run, it will cause consolidation of rural school districts and in urban centers, larger class sizes, she says. Now, in this New Year's proposal, Reynolds says that students who had already been transferred to private school from public school would receive partial state funding phased in over three years. The additional or I should say the addition, excuse me, would make the proposal even more costly for public schools, says Iowa Representative Lindsey James, Democrat of Dubuque. It's going to be very expensive, a major hit to our public school funds, she says. Democratic lawmakers each year request education funding increases to match the level of inflation. Each recent year, the Republican majority has passed increases, but to a lower level than inflation. In recent years, Reynolds has requested a specific level of increase to state-per-pupil funding, 
and this year she did not. That number, known as state supplemental aid, is needed by school boards in March to decide their annual budgets. If your only idea is more funding, then you're not putting in the work, and you're not really focused on our children, Governor Reynolds said. Today, we spend $3.6 billion on pre-K-12 education, $1 billion more than we did in 2012. There are states that spend much less with better results. This isn't about money. Iowa Representative Steve Bradley, Republican of Cascade, serves on the House Education Committee, supports the governor's general vision for school choice. But he said any change to law also likely will address critics that public and private schools do not have the same transparency and expectations. A lot of the public schools are saying private schools aren't held accountable like we are, he said. Well, from what I hear, she'll take care of that in the full bill. Reynolds also proposed allowing school districts to use allocated public funds, earmarked for a specific purpose, but unused, to increase teacher pay. The condition of the state also included Reynolds' proposal to reduce the number of opioid-related deaths in Iowa, She pitched increased penalties for manufacturing and distributing fentanyl in any amount. Reynolds also proposed distributing more naloxone to first responders to combat overdoses. Representative Chuck Isenhart, Dubuque, a a Democrat, has worked on opioid prevention policy since serving on the statewide task force in 2017. He said after the speech that more naloxone for the first responders at least was a good idea. I agree that we need to make access to naloxone easier, a necessary but not sufficient step in addressing the opioid crisis by preventing overdoses and alleviating substance use disorders, he said. In her annual address, Reynolds led by praising past actions by her party's majorities in both chambers and the laws she had signed. Several major tax cuts, restricting collective bargaining, and returning children to in-person class earlier in the COVID-19 pandemic than most states. Reynolds also dismissed what she called hysteria from Democrats and others who had questioned Republicans when major law changes had been pushed through by the trifecta majority. We've been told time and time again with our bold agenda, would wreck our economy, demolish our education system, and lead to the collapse of state government, Reynolds said. We've heard these accusations from political opponents, as expected, but we've also heard them from also from members of the media and even from so-called experts. James said that she was disappointed by what she called Reynolds' divisive tone, name-calling, and insults are beneath the office of the governor, she said. We have the opportunity when we come back to raise the level of discourse and respect. The governor did not do that. Okay, let's move on here. Officials stress efforts to boost local air service. Airport and business leaders give updates on plans to restore commercial flights to Dubuque. Two days after an announcement that flights by a new air carrier from Dubuque were delayed, Airport and economic officials stressed Tuesday that they will continue to work to add commercial flying options for the community. We will not be denied, said Dubuque Area Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Molly Grover, a member of the Dubuque Air Air Service Task Force. 
We're going to work tirelessly and relentlessly on our efforts to restore sustainable, long-term service in our community. Speaking at an air service forum at Q Casino, Dubuque Regional Airport officials and members of the task force reiterated that they are working with Transportation Security Administration staff to get the airport's new security program approved. Approval of the updated plan is needed for Avilo Airlines to begin prom- uh, pro- providing a commercial service out of Dubuque. The airport announced Saturday that the planned debut Avilo flight from Dubuque to Orlando, Florida, which had been scheduled for today, was canceled because TSA had not yet signed off on the plan. The announcement also stated that Avilio was actively exploring alternative airports where it can temporarily operate its twice-weekly Dubuque flights beginning next Saturday, January 14th, until Dubuque secures its TSA certification. Grover and Airport Director Todd Dulsing said that they are working to gain approval of the plan as soon as possible. American Airlines ceased its commercial air service out of Dubuque in September Matt Skinner, principal with Global Flight Solutions, a consulting service hired by the airport, noted that major airlines throughout the country have pulled out of smaller airports as they continue to face low revenues and a shortage of pilots since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Skinner also said that major airlines still are underperforming compared to pre-pandemic levels. The challenge right now are real and still tough, he says. There's a whole systematic recovery that still needs to continue here that will eventually open the gates for us again. Skinner said that air travel appears to be recovering. Airport Council International released a study last year expecting air service to return to 2019 levels by 2024. According to Skinner, the recovery of major airlines will result in them being more interested in reestablishing service to smaller community airports. And when that time comes, Dubuque needs to establish itself as an ideal option. One way to do that, Skinner said, is to provide a funding guarantee to airlines that would fly out of Dubuque. This funding would provide a minimum level of revenue to the airlines and reduce the risk of investing in air service at the local airport. The city of Dubuque and Dubuque uh, County already engaged Avilio Airlines in a similar agreement. Both entities agreed to each co- to contribute $500,000 for a two-year minimum revenue guarantee. Skinner said that the community would benefit from establishing a method to make that funding available to airlines more permanent suggesting options such as funding provided by major area businesses or developing a new tax. We absolutely can solve the air service problem and tackle it in a long-term way, said Skinner. Kevin Gluba, Senior VP of Rasky Partners, a consultant hired by the Dubuque Chamber, said that the city also potentially could use federal funding to attract the airlines. He said that his company is working to make communities such as Dubuque eligible for funding through the federal government's Essential Air Service Program, which provides subsidies to airlines to provide flight service to underserved communities. It's subsidy for airports, mainly regional places like Dubuque, to be more competitive with these larger areas, he says. It's had bittersweet success, but it's been a very effective tool for the 150 or so communities that participate 
in it. All right, let's go to Platteville, Wisconsin. Platteville selects buyer for armory. Council votes to sell facility to a group of five area residents. Department of Military Affairs must approve the sale. Common council members on Tuesday night unanimously selected a group of local investors to take ownership of Platteville Armory. The winning proposal came from a group of area residents who planned to form an LLC to operate the facility. Chris and Allison Richard of Platteville, Josh and Holly Coopers of uh, Dickeyville, and Jason Francis of Dubuque put in a combined 201000 offer for the armory and three adjacent lots owned by the city. The group said in their submission that they hope to make the armory a community-based building that serves multiple needs for the citizens of the city of Platteville and surrounding area. Planned uses for the space include leased storage space for area businesses, event and kitchen space rentals, and potential use as a child care facility for the Head Start program. The submission also allowed use of the gymnasium space for the city's parks and recreation development regularly scheduled activities, and also expressed intent to work with area youth athletic groups to offer additional practice space. There were also initial plans outlined to turn the three adjacent lots into residential homes in 2025 or 2026, if feasible. Council members were uh, voting on Tuesday and closed out more than one year's worth of conversations about the future of the well-known downtown facility. Our due diligence has gotten us to where we want it to be, and that would be with the armory being related locally or I should say, excuse me, should, would be being retained, I should say, locally and going back on the tax base, said Council President Barb Douse. So most assuredly, I believe that we've met our goal. After the Wisconsin Department of Military Affairs rejected a $100,000 offer from the city in November, city officials began to look for local buyers who would meet the department's higher $135,000 asking price before it was put on the public market. The city initially received three submissions, although one was submitted with the addendum that it should be removed from the consideration if any other submissions were received. That left council members with two proposals to discuss and vote upon Tuesday evening. The second offer came from Brian Fritz, owner of Pioneer Property Management in Platteville. His $195,000 offer also would have allowed for gymnasium use by the Parks and Recreation Department, but his main plan for the building would have been an additional space for his existing businesses. The proposal said he then would have considered other tenants as space becomes available. Josh Cooper said that the vote that the city was uh, pleased by the council's decision, adding that the members look forward to maintaining the facility status as a community fixture through child care and recreation activities or any of the other proposed uses. The Army proposed a very unique situation for us with being able to keep it as a part of the community. He said, it's been a community building for years for a variety of reasons, and we look forward to keeping it that way. All right, now let's turn the page here. Let's go now to Dubuque and Tri-State area of the paper. Dubuque Museum recovering from devastating loss of stingrays. 
Local aquarium has replaced its alarm system that failed to notify staff of a problem and is preparing for the arrival of more stingrays. Andy Allison called the events of December 22nd devastating for National Mississippi River Museum and Aquarium. When your job is to keep animals healthy and something goes wrong, even if it's not your fault, it's hard, said Allison, VP of Living uh, Conditions and Education of the Dubuque Museum. Allison was speaking of the deaths last month of eight stingrays in the popular touch tank exhibit. These stingrays remind us of puppy dogs. And they even act like dogs in a lot of ways. And just like a dog, when you lose your dog, it's devastating, he said. Allison said that staff make rounds at the beginning and end of each day, checking water flow, temperature, and pressure in the museum's tanks, as well as visually inspecting each animal. When staff arrived in the morning of December 22nd, they found foam on the surface which doesn't usually happen, and the stingrays were very still, he said. Most of them already were dead at that point. An investigation found that the tank's water level had dropped millimeters lower than normal, and not enough to tell by the naked eye, but enough to cause a pump that usually draws water as part of the aquarium's filt uh, filtration system to draw air instead. When the pump suck air, it causes something called supersaturation, Allison said. You want oxygen in the water so that the animals can breathe. But when the water gets supersaturated, it can cause a condition called gas bubble disease. It's essentially the same thing as when a scuba diver gets the bends. The outside air temperature in Dubuque dropped to 11 degrees the night before the stingrays were found dead. Allison said it's possible that cold weather was a contributing factor. On really cold nights, it's much drier and evaporation happens that much faster, even inside the museum, he said. An alarm system should have notified staff of the lowered water level. The alarm system failed, Allison said. It was a mechanical failure due to the age of the system. The system was replaced, the aging alarm system, and is about to welcome new stingrays, too. The public support and institutional support has been terrific after the stingray deaths, Allison said. We had four different regional aquariums reach out to see how they could help. Museum staff are finalizing details to acquire stingrays from Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo, an aquarium which features a stingray touch tank and successfully has bred the animals in captivity. Museum staff are working out the logistics to collect the string stingrays, which they hope to bring to, to Dubuque this month. We're looking for transportation options, says Emily uh, Adfinger, the museum's work, uh, marketing and communications manager. We're reaching out to our community partners. Once the new stingrays arrive, they'll be given time to adapt to their new home before visitors may resume touching stingrays at the museum. These are captive bred in another aquarium, so they're very used to touching, but it's our facility. The lighting is different. The sounds are different. The visitor patterns are different, Allison went on to say. All right, let's go to news briefs. Two people killed and two injured in head-on crash in Galena. Two people were killed and two others were injured in a crash involving two vehicles and a semi-tractor trailer Monday night in Galena. The names of those involved have not been released yet. Crash occurred on US-20, just west of William Drive, at about 11 p.m. on Monday. 
The Joe Davies County Sheriff Department reported that a car traveling east on US-20 crossed into the westbound lane and collided head-on with a westbound car. A press release states that the westbound car then collided with a trailer attached to an eastbound semi. Two occupants of the westbound car were pronounced dead at the scene. One occupant of the westbound car and the sole occupant of the eastbound car were taken by ambulance to Midwest Medical Center in Galena for treatment. Sheriff Kevin Turner wrote in an email to the Telegraph Herald that one lane remained open as authorities respond to the, responded to the crash. The Illinois Department of Transportation cleared the scene at about 6.20 a.m. on Tuesday. Authorities continue to investigate the crash. Driver ejected, dies in rollover crash in Lafayette County. In Cuba City, Wisconsin, a driver died Tuesday morning in a rollover crash in Lafayette County where she was thrown from her vehicle. Carson A. Ballant, age 31 of Benton, was pronounced dead at the scene, according to the county sheriff's department. The crash occurred at about 6.50 a.m. Tuesday on Lafayette County H, just north of Back Road, northeast of Cuba City. Authorities said that Ballant was southbound when she failed to negotiate a curve, lost control of her vehicle, which left the roadway and overturned. She was thrown from the vehicle. A press release states that the road conditions were suspected of contributing to the crash, which remains under investigation. Dubuque Eatery closed until further notice. One of Dubuque's newer eateries has been closed since late last week with the information being shared regarding the closure. An announcement on the Facebook page for Rusty Taco at 3333 Ashbury Road posted on Saturday afternoon states that the restaurant is closed until further notice and that an update on the restaurant's status will be provided in the future. No updates have been provided uh, to date. Reached Tuesday, owner Luke Flatten said that he had no additional comment at this time. The restaurant opened in the spot attached to Natural Grocers in September of 2021. Rusty Taco, named after founder Rusty Fenton, opened in first, its first location in Dallas in 2010. The Dubuque uh, location was the 36th Rusty Taco to open nationally. Last month, Rusty Taco's parent company, Inspire Brand, sold the chain to investment firm Gala Capital Partners. TH seeks stories on impacts of rising energy, energy uh, heating and energy costs. The Telegraph Herald is working on a story about how climbing heating and energy costs are affecting local residents. Have larger bills in, impacted you? Are you changing your budget or cutting back elsewhere? We want to hear from you. Contact reporter Joshua Irvine at josh.irvine, that's I-R-V-I-N-E, at thmedia.com, or you can call 563-588-5635 by Friday, January 13th. One more on that uh, telephone number, 563-588-5635, and that's Joshua Irvine that you would be speaking to. Okay, it's now time to, to turn to our view uh, this is a, an, a, an editorial from the Telegraph Herald. 
and it's called counties should further explore consolidation of jobs and duties. For years, Telegraph Herald editorials have encouraged local governments to seek opportunities for consolidation or cooperation. The opportunities might involve similar government entities, two or more counties, for example, or differing entities whose service areas overlap, such as a city and school district. The cooperation might be as straightforward as joint purchasing to attract more competitive bids from vendors to sharing employees to contracting for services, often through 28E agreements. In 2014, when the county uh, recorder retired, a TH editorial noted a question raised in Iowa's courthouses from time to time. Could counties abolish the position of county recorder and reassign those duties to the auditor and or treasurer. That question had been raised in TH editorials before, and some county officials took issue with the notion, stating that it wouldn't work here. Supervisors back then, who didn't relish a fight with a fellow elected official, let the idea disappear from their radar. However, with the resignation of John Murphy, who had just been re-elected to his post as county recorder, Another opportunity arises to reconsider sharing positions. This time, at long last, county supervisors are willing to give the idea a thorough airing. The timing is finally right. Discussions of reorganization and consolidation of jobs in government, in business, in other organizations is more palatable when there is not someone currently holding the job. The focus remains on the organization and not on an individual. The vacancy creates a great time to consider consolidation. Any time a government position is vacated in, its, in this way, it's fair and frugal to take a hard look at the duties assigned to the role and determine whether efficiencies could be found. Dubuque County Auditor Kevin Dragado has been managing both offices in Murphy's absence and believes a merger would be a great idea. If consolidation of the roles were to happen, it would require citizen action. Residents would have to submit a petition calling for the change in order for a proposed merger to be put on the ballot perhaps as early as November 2024. The number of signatures required for such a petition would be equal to at least 25% of the total votes cast in the highest vote receiving county office in the, in, in the most recent election. That means the petitioners would need to secure nearly 10,000 signatures and mark a quarter of the ballots cast in the Dubuque County Attorney election last year. No simple task, to be sure, but here's an opportunity to save expenses and streamline roles within the courthouse. Dubuque County supervisors should continue to discuss this option and provide county residents with good information on what such a change would mean. If serious consideration of consolidation is ever to occur now, when no elected official would be displaced, would be the best time to give the idea real vetting. All right, then, let's move on here. Trial date set for a man accused of murder. Rommel D. Enoch is charged in the slaying of Kylie Duster in Dubuque in July of 2021. A trial date has been set for a man accused of killing a Dubuque woman last year. Ronald D. Enoch, age 23, is charged in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County with first-degree murder. He has pleaded not guilty. He's accused of killing Kylie J. Duster 
age 20, who was found dead by police on July 28, 2021, in her Dubuque apartment. Her family had reported that Duster had not been seen for three days prior. Enoch's trial's date has been set for November 13th at the Dubuque County Courthouse. His next hearing date is scheduled for October 30th. Iowa District Court Judge Michael Schubat also ordered that Enoch can remain in custody at, Clar- at Clarinda, which is an Iowa correctional facility, until he is needed for court in Dubuque. At the time of his arrest on the murder charge, Enoch was serving a 25-year prison sentence at the facility for unrelated convictions of drug distribution to a person younger than 18 and sexual exploitation of a minor. Court documents state that police found Duster's body in her closet on July 28, 2021, after her family requested a welfare check. Duster had a piece of white fabric in her mouth, and her face was swollen. There was blood in and around her eyes and nose, and she had an abrasion below her chin. Duster's matter of death was ruled as homicide caused by suffocation. The fabric in her mouth was white T-shirt that later tested positive for Enoch's DNA document state. When later interviewed by police, Enoch told officers he last saw Duster on July 22nd or 23rd, 2021, and that she left for Chicago with an unknown man. Police also reported that Enoch having abrasions all over his body. Traffic camera footage showed Duster and Enoch traveling throughout Dubuque and Duster's vehicle on July 24th and 25th. Investigators also reported that Enoch's Facebook account showed that he sent messages to another person after 3 p.m. on July 25th that said he was with Duster at the time. Documents state that Enoch was seen driving Duster's vehicle without her on the 26th of July, 27th and 28th. Enoch bought three cans of gold spray paint on July 28th, and footage shows that Duster's vehicle painted gold following the purchase. Enoch also told officers that he spent July 23rd to the 25th with the woman he was living with on Nevada Street. Documents state, however, the woman reported uh, not seeing Enoch from July 23rd to the 25th when he picked her up in Duster's vehicle. And I'd like to remind you that uh, this is Peter Welch doing a, uh, your narrator here today on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. And we are reading the Telegraph Herald today for Wednesday on the 11th of January. Yes, we do have some obituary uh, news. Let me get to those right now. The first one is Gary Oliver, age 79, of Dubuque, uh, Iowa, passed away. At 8.51 on Monday, the 9th of January, at, uh, at home, surrounded by his loving family. To honor Gary's life, family and friends may visit from 4 p.m. until 7 p.m. on Thursday, the 12th of January, at, at Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street. Funeral services will be held at 10 a.m. on Friday, the 13th of January, at Bear Funeral Home, with Deacon David Roth officiating. Burial will be in Mount uh, Calvary Cemetery where military honors will be accorded by the Dubuque Marine Corps League. Paul D. Cernek, age 88, of Gratiot, Wisconsin, has passed. A visitation will take place at Gratiot Evangelical Free Church from 4 p.m. until 8 p.m. on Friday, the 13th of January, 
A funeral service will be held Saturday, 14th of January at 11 a.m. at the Cretaeate Community Center in Cretaeate, Wisconsin. A visitation will also be held on Saturday, the 14th of January from 10 a.m. until 10.45 a.m. at the Cretaeate Community Center. The Erickson Funeral Home in Darlington, Wisconsin, is serving the family. And other obituary news, William Gents, age 55 of Dubuque, has passed. Friends and family may visit from 1 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, January the 15th, at Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory at 2595 Rockdale Road, where a funeral service will be held at 4 p.m. with Deacon David Roth officiating. And also in obituary news, Mary Hanfeld. Mary Jean Hanfeld has passed at the age of 76 of Keeler, Wisconsin, passed away on Sunday on the 8th of January. And a mass of Christian burial will be held at 11 a.m. on Friday, January 13th at Immaculate Conception Church in Keeler, Wisconsin with Reverend Bart Timmerman and Reverend Bernard Rott officiating. Robert B. Schmidt, age 86 of Piosta, uh, Iowa, has passed away. Visitation will be held Friday, the 13th of January from 4 to 7 p.m. at Holy Family New Melloray at 16318 Holy Family uh, Lane, Piosta, that's P-E-O-S-T-A, Iowa, after 9 a.m. on Saturday at the church. A massive Christian burial will be begin at 10 a.m. Saturday, January 14th at the church with Thomas Toll officiating. Burial will follow in the church cemetery with military honors accorded by the Iowa Army National Guard. Uh, Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory is in charge of all arrangements. And finally, Luke Widerholt, age 62, of Hazel Green, Wisconsin, has passed away. A massive Christian burial will be held 12 p.m. on Saturday, the 14th of January, at Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Keeler, Wisconsin, with uh, Bernard Rott uh, uh, officiating. A private family burial will be held at a later date. Family and friends may call on Saturday, the 14th of January, at 9 a.m. to 11.45 a.m. at the Immaculate Conception Parish Center in, Ke in Keeler, Wisconsin. The Howden Shield Funeral Home and cremation services uh, of in Cuba City are handling all of the uh, arrangements. Okay, let's go back to tri-state news now. WD Districts seeks bids for track football upgrades. In Farley, Iowa, Western Dubuque Community School District officials are seeking bids for a $1.5 million project uh, to upgrade the football field and track facilities at Western Dubuque High School. School board members approved putting the project out for bids at a meeting this week. Bids for the project will be due on the 31st of January. Members of Bobcat Legacy Foundation initially opposed, I should say proposed rather, excuse me, the project last year, and school board members voted in July to contribute 750000 to the project. Bobcat Legacy Foundation officials pledged to raise the remaining 750000 and presented a letter at the board's meeting this week stating that they had successfully raised those funds. Superintendent Dan Butler said that the project will include replacing the grass football field at Western Dubuque High School in Epworth uh, with turf and resurfacing the track. Long jump pits will be removed. 
The field will be expanded to conform to regulation size for soccer games and band competitions. This project opens up so many additional activities and flexibilities of how that space can be used, not only for competition, but for things like outdoor learning experiences through physical education class, Butler went on to say. If it's a little rainy or wet, not having to worry about mud or slippery conditions like you do on natural grass is one of the many benefits of turf. School board president Jessica uh, Pape agreed, adding that a turf field will require less maintenance by district staff and will allow more groups from performing arts students to strength and conditioning classes to use the field regularly. There's quite a few different groups that use that field, so knowing we'll have less to maintain and faster turnaround time for us to provide a great experience for all of our students is something that's been a long time coming and that we're looking forward to, Pap says. Uh, board members will hold a public hearing on the 13th of February, at which time they hope to award a contract for the project from submitted bids. District officials hope to have the project completed by August in a time for the first home football game of the 2023-2024 school year. We may possibly have to have some creative scheduling to maybe not host the first week of the football season, but assuming that the bids come in at a place that is close to our estimates, we're aiming for August as our target for completion, Butler goes on to say there. And we've got a couple more news briefs here. Uh, Go to War, rock band coming to Dubuque. A Grammy-nominated rock band is coming to Dubuque this spring. Nothing more will take the stage on Wednesday, the 12th of April, at Five Flags Center, the venue announced on Tuesday. The bands crown the empire, and Thousand Below will play in support. Tickets will go on sale on 10 a.m. on Friday, the 13th of January at the Five Flags box office and Ticketmaster.com. Nothing more was formed in 20, I should say in 2003, rather, in San Antonio, Texas. The band's 2017 song, Go to War, was nominated for Best Rock Performance and Best Rock Song Grammy Awards. The band's 2017 album, The Stories We'll Tell Ourselves, was nominated for Best Rock Album. The band has also had multiple other songs crack the top 10 on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Airplay chart, including Ballast, This Is The Time, Let Em Burn, and Tired Of Winning, and Jenny. First candidate files for Piosta, for, for Piosta council seat. A Piosta resident has filed to run for a city council seat that will be the, on a ballot in a special election next month. Wesley Dewar filed paperwork Tuesday to run in the February 14th election to fill a vacancy on the councils created by the resignation of Doug Hughes. Wadur is the first candidate to file to run for the seat. The winner of the election will serve on the council until the November election, and candidates for the position must complete an affidavit and nomination petition with at least 10 signatures of electors eligible in the city of Piosta. The deadline to file to run in the special election is 5 p.m. January 20th. Papers must be delivered to the elections office at the Dubuque County Courthouse at 720 Central Avenue. And finally, in news briefs, donated hygiene items sought for MLK Day Service Project. Donated hygiene items are sought for Martin Luther King Jr. Day Service Project. 
United Way of Dubuque Area Tri-State and Multicultural Family Center are collecting hygiene items to be included in bags assembled by AmeriCorps members and local teens, according to an online announcement. The requested hygiene items are toothbrushes, toothpaste, dental floss, soap, body wash, deodorant, shampoo, combs, and reusable bags. The bags also will contain stuffed animals donated by Oh Happy Play and blankets from a local quilting group. The bags will be delivered to local youth organizations for distribution. And donations can be made through Friday the 13th of January at United Way. They're located at 215 West 6th Street or Multicultural Family Center at 1157 Central Avenue. Well, I guess we all do New Year's resolutions, don't we? Maybe you want to lose weight. Maybe you want to save more money. Maybe you want to be more organized. I mean, take your pick. Here is an article from the paper about seven tips for eating and living well in the new year. First of all, you have to consider eating mindfully and have another cup of coffee. At the end of 2022, as holiday potlucks and cookie exchanges came to an end, We took a look at diet and wellness research to find the most valuable lessons for eating and living well in the new year. We coupled those with the time-honored lessons, red meat in moderation, plants in abundance, to bring you these top seven tips. So here they are. We hope you find them as useful as we do. Okay, number one, diets are out. Mindful eating is in. Ever shocked by how much popcorn you can put away at the movies? That, that's because you're not eating with intention. The last research about healthy eating is less about staying away from certain foods and more about eating with awareness, listening to internal and external cues and honoring the food and where it comes from. In Savor Mindful Eating, Mindful Life, authors Lillian Jiang and Thich Hana discuss the successful practices of mindful eating, which include eating without distraction, engaging your senses, serving modest-sized portions, eating slowly to avoid overeating. The more mindful of an eater you are, the more likely you're to make healthful choices also. Number two, buy a juicer already. Drinking your fruits and veggies is one of the fastest and easiest ways to get those beneficial nutrients into your system. And the array of colors and textures of flavor combinations are endless. While smoothies are usually what spring to mind, they're often loaded with sugar, even the ones you make at home. But juice made from leafy greens like spinach and kale or hydration-centric foods like celery and cucumber offer endless health benefits. The chlorophyll alone strengthens your immune system and helps control inflammation. And you can add herbs and fruits and pears and green apples. They're all good choices to add zing. Need inspiration? Well, the editors at America's Test Kitchen recently published a new cookbook, The Complete Guide to Healthy Drinks, America's Test Kitchen. It's $28, and it's full of 160 foolproof recipes, including dozens of juices. Number three, eat more fermented foods. A diet rich in fermented foods, think pickles, yogurt, kombucha, enhances the diversity of microbes in the gut. 
and reduces size of inflammation on a molecular level, says researchers at the, at the Stanford School of Medicine. And we know that a healthier gut makes for a healthier body and like a healthier brain, too. In a clinical trial, 36 healthy adults were assigned to a 10-week diet that included either fermented or higher-fiber foods. The two diets resulted in a different effects on the gut micro microbiome and the immune system with the fermented foods diet showing decreased levels of 19 inflammatory uh, proteins in blood samples. One of these proteins, interleukin, that's I-N-T-E-R-L-E-U-K-I-N, uh, interleukin-6, has been linked to conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, di uh, type 2 diabetes, and chronic stress. By contrast, none of the inflammatory proteins decreased in participants who ate legumes, seeds, whole grains, vegetables, and other high-fiber foods. The gut microbes also were unchanged. So, you ready to make that kumbacha? Number four, what you eat can impact your mental health. Oh, yes, that's right. Why is your therapist asking you about your diet? Because there's an emerging field of research called nutritional psychiatry that suggests that there is a relationship between the foods we crave and our overall mental health. Not surprisingly, Studies show that the sugar-laden and often high-fat foods we find comforting when stressed, pizza, cake, burgers, and fries, are the least likely to make us feel better in the short or long run. The sugary stuff worsens your body's regulation insulin, impairs brain function, and might even worsen depression. How about that? And cumulative evidence shows that a diet rich in fatty foods impairs cognitive function and increases the vulnerability to anxiety. Overall, a diet rich in fruits and veggies and nuts and fish and fermented foods is the way to go. Number five, go ahead, have a second cup of joe. For a long time, the jury was out on whether coffee was good or bad for your health. But the latest research published last year in the European Journal of Preventative Cardiology confirms that most of us Java heads have been waiting to hear coffee might actually save you from an early death. Using data from nearly 450,000 adults, the study found a possible association between coffee consumption, two or three cups per day, and decreased early death not to mention possible protection against Parkinson's disease, type 2 diabetes, liver disease, heart attack, and stroke. Researchers found significant reductions in the risk for coronary heart disease, congestive heart failure, and stroke associated with drinking coffee, whether it was ground, instant, caffeinated, or decaffeinated. Ground caffeinated coffee consumption lowered the risk of death the most by 27%. Prior studies also have shown a link between black coffee and a lower risk of Alzheimer's and prostate cancer. So what do you do? Well, just drink up. Number six, eat more plants. This is not a diet. It's a lifestyle change that is backed by science to be better for the body and the environment. Plant-based eating is nutrient-dense and packed with fiber, healthy fats, protein, vitamins, minerals. It's not vegan or vegetarian. You can still eat eggs and fish and chicken, even beef, in moderation. 
and dairy products, but about two-thirds of your meals should come from legumes, nuts, and non-animal resources. So now, do you need ideas? Well, start with savory Lugarian. That's L-I-G-U-R-I-A-N. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Lug or Lugarian soca with kale and tomatoes or sweet potato curry with eggplant, chickpeas, and herb chutney. Swap out the meat in your favorite tacos for mushrooms or baja or baya style cauliflower or whip up colorful veggie sushi hand rolls. And finally, balances, balance, I should say, and awareness. In October 2021, the American Heart Association updated its dietary guidelines. For the first time in 15 years, the committee called for eating more plants, of course, and limiting salt and red meat and processed foods. Don't drink alcohol? Well, don't start. But from there, the advice was less about what specific food or uh, food to eat or to avoid and more about watching overall pattern and the choices we make both for our hearts and for our overall health. Rather than a one-size-fits-all rule, it left room for personal and cultural needs and preferences. The guidelines published in the AHA Journal Circulation encouraged Americans to look for patterns in their eating. Changing one thing, sweetened full-fat yogurt to a low-fat variety with less sugar, Having the pasta or white rice on your plate for extra serving of veggies will make a lasting impact for years to come. So what's that expression? You are what you eat. How about that? That's a great article. Let's read this other uh, uh, quick article. Test Kitchen's V5 Juice, a healthy option. Leave it to the editors at American Test Kitchen to come up with a homemade version of V8 that's fresh, pretty, and lower in sodium. They eschewed the thick tomato puree-like texture for a zesty, raw, whole tomato, which they blended with spinach, watercress, carrots, and celery. The result is a bright green and red juice you simply can't get out of a can. Optional Worcestershire sauce adds a touch of umami. U-M-A-M-I. I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. The recipe is one of 160 juices flavored with water, you know, flavored waters, broths, fermented beverages, featured in the new cookbook, The Complete Guide to Healthy Drinks. And that's America's Test Kitchen publication. And that book is $28. Now, here's a, an example. This one's called America's Test Kitchen V5 Juice. So, this serves one to two. So, if you're ready... Um, Write this down. I'll, I'll do this slowly so you can, uh, you can gather the information here. First thing you need is one medium tomato, about six ounces. Next, you need two cups of curly leaf spinach. Third, you need a half a cup of watercress. Fourth, you need a carrot unpeeled. Next, you need a one celery rib. You need also one-eighth and one-quarter teaspoon Worcestershire sauce, and that's optional. And finally, and it's, this is strictly optional as well, coarse sea salt. On low speed, process the tomato through juicer into storage container or serving glass. Increase speed to high and process spinach, watercress, carrot, and celery in that order. Stir in the Worcestershire sauce. Sprinkle with the salt, if using it. Stir to combine before serving. So... That is certainly one very healthy uh, juice to try out.
And we can't uh, leave this page without uh, uh, checking in here on Michael Roizen. Uh, he does a small column here. This one is called Stress Less by Eating Walnuts. Being in college may be portrayed as a carefree time for fun and games away from the parents' critical gaze, like Animal House, the movie. But in truth, it's relentlessly stressful. In fact, more than almost 88% of the college kids say they are stressed, especially about exams, student loans, academic performance, homework, social life. And virtually all of them say that stress affects their mental health. So how do you cope? Well, one survey of around 1,000 college students found that sleeping was the number one way, exercising was number two, eating number three, and drinking alcohol number four, meditating was number five, and ignoring stress number six rounded out the students' favorite coping mechanisms. Bravo for exercising and meditating. Study after study shows that exercise and meditation dispel stress hormones, change your self-image, improve sleep, and increases feel-good neutro, I should say neuro, excuse me, neurotransmitters like uh, serotonin. Excess sleep, as opposed to healthful uh, restorative sleep, can fuel depression and make it harder to cope. And overeating and excess alcohol are shortcuts to the blues. If you want a positive stress buster, you can start with walnuts. I know that sounds a little well nuts, but a study published in nutritious or in nutrients, I should say, found that eating half a cup of walnuts a day at the beginning of a semester during exams and two weeks after the exams improved the students' self-reported measures of mental health. Their gut micro, microbial diversity, the researchers checked, and sleep quality. Walnuts convey these benefits because they're uh, protein-rich and loaded with omega-3 fatty acids and, and phytochemicals that project against, or I should say, excuse me, that protect against premature aging and inflammation and metabolic syndrome. So, in summary, go nuts. Finally, House Republicans launch investigations into FBI in China. In Washington, House Republicans moved Tuesday to swiftly establish the Marquee, Marquee uh, investigations of their new majority voting to create panels focused on China and what they assert is rampant abuse of power in the federal government. Newly empowered GOP lawmakers are vowing to bring accountability to the Biden administration, pledging to investigate federal law enforcement agencies, including those that are conducting probes into former President Donald Trump. Republicans also established a committee with broad bipartisan support to investigate strategic competition between the U.S. and China in line with the party's push for more hardline approach to the Asian nation. Republicans officially labeled one of the committees as reviewing the weaponization of the federal government, a name that from the outset suggests that the panel's investigations may be one-sided. The probe will be conducted under the jurisdiction of the Judiciary Committee, which is headed by Republican Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, a hardliner who is, closely an al who is a close ally of Donald Trump. And that does it for the reading of the Telegraph Herald here for today on Wednesday, the 11th of January. Um, I appreciate your listening to me. I am Peter Welch, your narrator, and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye now. <laughs>